Welcome to the Live Greater View, a financial planning podcast produced by VLP Financial Advisors that discusses life, money, and perspective. We help clients live their best life at every stage through our VLP Live Greater partnership process. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Live Greater um, View podcast. We got a special guest today. We got Dan Lash, one of the partners here at VLP Financial Advisors. And we're kicked off today, Chris. Why don't you get us started with uh, the current events? Yeah. So as we do in each episode, we just want to bring everybody up to speed with what has happened in the market recently. Um, Some of the latest headlines that we've seen have really been around earnings season. So, and really, if we look at how many companies have reported so far, we've had about 84% of S&P 500 companies have reported, about 79% have beat expectations. So all in all, a relatively good earnings season. Um, The other thing that's caught a lot of headlines recently is the downgrade of U.S. credit by the Fitch Credit Rating Agency. That's something that the market has really taken in stride. Um, Yields within the bond market spiked initially on that report. Um, they've since come back down to so something that was a bigger headline, but didn't really move the market that much. Yeah. And something that's been interesting as we've gone through this year, obviously economists and, and where we are have been widely divided from the beginning of the year, but still chugging along, low unemployment, and um, we're seeing more stuff, uh, more money, a lot of money in cash also. Yeah. That's something that we highlighted in our recent blog post is just the fact that the cash level in all money market accounts is at roughly $5.5 trillion, an all-time high. A lot of that has to do with cash that's come out of the bond market, anticipating rates rising. Um, some of that is also, like you said, Rose, has to do with positioning and just the fact that everybody was so pessimistic coming into 2023. So eventually that cash has to come off the sidelines and we'll see how long Either that sticks. Yeah. Well, we'll see. When rates are higher, it'll probably stay a little bit longer. But uh, at some point, we'll probably see that level out and, and go down. All right. Well, let's get to today's topic. Today, we got a great one we're going to cover, um, defining legacy planning. So, Dan, you're going to um, go through a little bit of this with us today. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a very broad topic. It, you know, Our goal is to kind of consider what's all involved in that. And and as we know, it's not always about the financial, right? It, it's Legacy planning isn't just about the money you transfer to the next generation or what's important, but there's a lot of emotions involved in that. And we see that day in and day out. Yeah. And I think that if you um, you know, think about the perspective that we bring to the table, we're very fortunate to work with a lot of families who are in the position to really define what legacy planning is to them. Um, our average client tenure for the firm is roughly 15 years. So we really see this start in the early stages progress to you know, something bigger and then ultimately to the next generation in some um, instances. So we think that we can really give a, a good perspective on what we think are the most important things as it relates to this. Yeah. And Dan, you've been doing this uh, the longest. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if everybody um, would think about it as legacy planning per se. They don't think there's going to be this large sum of dollars that they have well beyond their life that their grandkids, grandkids can use. Right. So most of it is all about initially about estate planning but then you when you start talking a little bit further with people they go well maybe i can do something that uh, lasts beyond my life that is important to me Uh, more often than not it's just what do i do you know with my documents before i die Mm -hmm. Um, and making sure i'm not a big giant burden to everybody financially Mm -hmm. um, by not doing anything right Um, although some people don't care because they go i'll be dead i don't care what happens so just depends on the client and their perspective. Yep. Yeah. 
And one of the things that um, you just tied in there, Dan, estate versus legacy planning, something that's jumped out to me with clients is when you bring up estate planning, they think about, you know, the document piece and, hey, here's the piece after I'm gone. It's very black and white. There's really um, outside of just the, you know, dry you know, document, there's not a lot that goes into it other than thinking about obviously where they want the money to go. When you bring up legacy, it seems to be something that really hits um, their gut more. It's something that they have somewhat more control over. They want to think about how do I you know, want to leave an impact on future generations, the people and the things that I care about. So um, just something that you know I've observed over the years, estate planning versus legacy planning. Yeah, and per- per- perfect um, lead in point. Yesterday, this is a meeting I have with a client and we were reviewing some of that and it it was to her point when she said, how much money do you think I'll have when I pass? And I and she's gonna be fine. She's gonna have some money that's gonna pass on. She goes, yeah, but I wanna be Santa Claus. It was kind of interesting that her perspective was that there was a list of people that she know had less than her family that she wanted to leave an impact on. And that's really kind of some of the legacy, right. part, some of the legacy stuff comes into play. Right. And, you know, when we think about that and, you know, you really just led into that, Rose, I, I thought it would be a good place for us to start, you know, really how does this com- conversation form? You know, what what is, you know, the typical situation where we see this come up? Um, and that's obviously where financial planning is such an important impact to all of these different areas and legacy planning obviously leads right into that. So let's talk about that piece. Yeah. Danny, you want to kick us off financial planning? I mean, where you start, how it goes and, and how do you really, when you do the planning, this leads into that legacy planning for clients? Yeah, well, I mean, there's obviously different components of the planning piece, but when you start talking to people about, okay, well, you have an IRA, you have your 401k, you have your various assets, who, you know, the primary thing is who's getting these when you die? We love to say when you pass, but I don't know, we're, we're dying. That's what we're going to do. Um, nobody wants to do it, but we all know we're going to. And some clients are more willing to have that discussion and others are very, very hesitant because they don't like to think about their mortality. Um, so the first step is just making sure that they have things in place so it's as simplified for everybody else, whether it's their spouse or their children or whoever it is. But then you start getting into p- clients who go, well, I... I, we don't we don't have children or I never got married I don't have kids and then you have to start going well what do you want your money to be for beyond uh, your life and are there things that you can do now prior to your passing or death that may help you um, with taxes and other things um, today while you're living uh, but also goes on to those legacies that you want those to um, to receive so um, th- there's multifacets of it and it's, it's always very different for each person. A lot of it is around their experiences. Um, and most people, unfortunately, don't have a lot of experience with dealing with having to be the person in charge after somebody's passed away, right? Maybe they, somebody's named them as an executor or a trustee or whatever it is, but they haven't actually implemented it yet. Um, and if you've had no experience with something, you're like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Although the clients who've had of experience with it go, this is awful. I would never wish this upon this anybody else. Yeah. Um, so it's getting diving a little deeper into what are the things that are important to them. I mean, certainly it's family, but but also there's different dynamics within your family, right? You got to go, well, I may like this child better than this child, or this child is really not very responsible with money, but I do want them to have something. So how do I create something so that they're taken care of, but maybe they're not in charge of right. taking care of themselves because 
they've kind of shown in their lifetime that they can't do it. Yeah. So it, it it's uh, it's really broad. It's not paint a brush and everybody's exactly the same. I mean, I would say everybody's completely unique from that perspective. Yeah. And something that I've noticed, um, typically there is an inflection point. You know, when we get together initially with clients, say to a client profile, they're plus or minus 10 years within retirement, they ultimately retire. Um, you know, we begin the process of distributing assets from their portfolio. We revisit their plan on a consistent basis. And then there becomes an inflection point where we say, okay, based on everything that you know you have as far as assets, your spending rate and all these other things, your situation is complete. You're gonna be fine, regardless of you know any sort of um, outlier scenarios that we can come up with. Then the conversation transitions to, okay, like you said, Dan, what does money mean to you? What sort of impact do you want future generations um, to remember you having on them? Um, I've just noticed that that inflection point tends to be uh, a very good conversation and, and it seems to be, you know, a bridge that clients when they cross it, it's very meaningful. Yeah. And Dan brought up a good point. You know, it's sometimes in that scenario, you're having the conversation. It's not about what you leave behind, but what memories you leave. And sometimes it's, do I take the money I have now and do the things that I was going to wait to do? Because mm -hmm. we don't know. Tomorrow's not barred. You know, two things that are certain, death and taxes. We just don't know when one's going to happen, right? <laughs> Always. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting, you know, some of those conversations we've had, and, and we've all had them, right, where you tell clients, spend more money. Mm -hmm. You know, go take the trip. Don't wait. Um, and it's been interesting, especially with clients who take that advice, get to do some of those things. And you get to see the impact, what it's meant to the next generation for the trips, the gifts, the, mm -hmm. the things maybe they got to do along the way that they wouldn't have un until maybe there was this legacy event. Mm -hmm. um, and some of that's that's a tough, sometimes a tough discussion because we know we're kind of ingrained to always save, right? We learn to put money in your 401k, accumulate, accumulate. And then when it gets to that point where now we have to start spending, we'll often see clients struggle with that. What well, I mean, if you spend a significant amount of time doing something a certain way, in this case, 40 years of saving money, and then somebody flips a wipe switch and says, stop doing that and do the exact opposite. They go, what, what? Huh? Yeah. And then they accumulate assets to the point that they have so much that you go, unless you change how you spend money dramatically in your 80s and 90s, you're going to be left with lots of money. Um, and your definition of lots could be anywhere from half a million dollars, depending on who you are, it could be five or $10 million yep. or even more. And for those people, you go, look, you're not going to live exponentially longer. Why not just give your money away now? Not necessarily just spend it. Mm -hmm. but gift it now, mm -hmm. gift it to kids and maybe grandkids. I think a lot of the legacy planning, um, uh, the, the, the thought process shifts when there's a third generation. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a client recently, three kids, probably going to end up, each kid is going to get somewhere north of a million dollars each when the client passes away. And one of the kids said, I don't need the money, give it to my to my children. So skip me, go to the next generation. So that creates a whole nother question of, well, how old are these people? And if they're going to get a really large sum of dollars, are you really comfortable with that occurring in that at that point? Now, she's not that old. And so if she lives, you know, another 10 or 20 years by then, grandkids might be getting closer to their 40s. But right now they're in their early 20s. You go, well, you're going to give maybe half a million dollars to a 20 year old. I have a 21 year old. I'm not giving them a half a million dollars. So um, the, there may th be ways that you want to structure things. So yes, they get it, 
but maybe not all and can do whatever they want with it. Because mm-hmm. grandma may not be so happy if one of the kids goes out and buys a Ferrari or some something really weird that doesn't fit within her side what she would have done with the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so that's a good point. So when you talk about legacy planning, what are some of the parameters you can put in, right? Certainly a trust, you know, we kind of like to say is control from the grave because you can decide when they get money, when they have access. You can even put parameters in, they can have money for these things, buying a house and those types of things. So, you know, legacy planning gives you that next generation concern when you have somebody who may be not good with money or or a spend theft, or you wanna protect them. Maybe they have a business that has, it's at risk or they work in some field that they could potentially have some lawsuits and that kind of stuff. So we see that a lot also. Um, You know, one other thing I think we we can shift to is, you know, the legacy planning, the um, SECURE Act kind of changed some of the stuff when we think about IRAs, right? right. Um, and certainly if it's a, non, it's a non-spouse inheritance, that's really kind of shifted a lot of some of the discussions we've had around legacy planning. Sure. So just to, you know, dive into that. So obviously to level set the table, you know, if you leave a retirement account asset to future generations, that's, you know, actually very different than leaving a non-retirement asset to future generations. Um, that's something that we constantly remind clients about, whether they've you know retired and have both, or they're working towards that and are saving um, you know with both. And that was just a recent rule that you referred to, Rose, mm-hmm. that changed a lot of the dynamics around the income taxes as it relates to leaving retirement assets to a non-spouse. Um, so essentially, we went from a situation where a non-spouse would inherit retirement accounts to be able to withdraw. Um, from that account over their lifetime, well, all of a sudden the IRS has come back in and said, you cannot no longer do that. You need to essentially expedite those withdrawals and have that account depleted within a 10 year window. Yeah. Um, so there's been a lot of planning that we've done ar- around that. Because Dan, yeah. I mean, one of the things we're seeing now, right? This is, we're really seeing the first generation of people who've worked their entire career and start with the 401k, right? And, and so you're seeing people who've had a 401k for 40 years and now these balances are not a couple hundred thousand or even a million, million. Yeah, yeah, or a couple million. million. Yep. Yeah, and so now you've got one kid and you've got a two or $3 million IRA that they might inherit that now they have to take these distributions over 10 years and potentially in their peak earning years. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a problem. Part of the thing that, you know, in the planning process that you have to look at is what type of assets should my kid inherit, right? So if you have one kid who's really successful, making lots of money in a really high tax bracket, and then you have another kid who's doing well, but not nearly in such a high tax bracket. You go, well, maybe your IRA go- assets go to your your kid in the lower tax bracket and you adjust the percentages and your tax-free or Roth money that, that they can inherit, maybe some of that goes and you account for the difference in you know tax and you just say, uh, let's let's adjust these um, so that it makes sense from a tax perspective once they get the money. Because most people aren't thinking about that. Um, sometimes I had a client in the very same situation. He goes, I don't care. I don't. Yeah, I, they have the money. They can pay. They, we they, see that. They can figure it out. I mean, a, a lot of times people just go, look, I'll put my documents in place, but it's their problem because I'm not around. Yeah. Um, so it's it all personal preference and their experiences. Well, let's talk about a little bit about how charities, if you're very charitable inclined, how that might be a solution to some of the IRA discussion. Well, I mean... At age 73, it's moving up to 75 in the year 2033, I think it is. Um, you, you have to take a required distribution from your IRA. A lot of people in their 20s and 30s, 40s, 
maybe around 50 or 60, they're like, hey, I heard I got to start taking money out of my account. I'm like, yeah, you do. And it might be a really large sum. Yep. And the government doesn't care if you don't want to take the money out. You have to and pay the tax. Um, one of the things that you're allowed to do is gift those distributions that are required to come out to charity directly and avoid paying the tax at all. So it just doesn't show up on your taxable income. Um, so for people who go, well, I, I have the means outside of these distributions to maintain my lifestyle. So maybe I'll start giving to charity that, so I don't, I'm not giving the money to the government. Yep. Cause you know, most people go, I'll do anything I can to give any, you know, give less money to the federal government. Even if I wasn't charitably inclined, I'd rather charity get it than the federal government. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, if you are charitable inclined, the having, and that's part of your legacy planning, right? If you're going to give to your organ, a certain organization, whether that you love pets and dogs or your church or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever that um, is for you, leaving some, instead of doing it out with those taxable assets, having them be a percentage beneficiary of the IRA can get around, can help fulfill your goal and potentially lessen the tax bill if you have your next generation is right. in that. Place. Yeah, I mean, we'd all rather inherit a non-qualified right. or non-retirement account because it's basically tax-free as opposed to inheriting an IRA. Yeah. Um, now, assuming the dollars are equal, obviously, um, but the charity, they don't have to pay tax on inheriting an IRA. So yep. yeah. it works wonders for them. Right, and on the charitable side too, um, in addition to the QCDs, the qualified charitable distributions, which we just talked about, we've had a lot of clients that have had success using donor advised funds. Yep. So this is a uh, fund structure where essentially if you have a highly appreciated asset, um, you're stuck with at some point, if you were to sell that asset, a capital gains bill, you can actually donate that asset to a charity or something that you care about through this donor advised fund structure. And it's nice in the fact that you can actually prolong those donations over a period of years. Um, you would contribute to the donor advised fund in one year, that money could actually continue to grow over time, you get the tax deduction all in one year, um, but then you could continue to give to those charities that you care about in future years. So that's been something that um, we've done a lot of work for, for clients over the past couple of years, especially after the run um, that some of these technology stocks have had uh, coming out of COVID. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, great. And, you know, when we, you know, talk about all these other, you know, things, obviously the foundation of this is the estate documents. I thought that would be good for us really just to spend a little bit of time giving perspective on um, estate documents, the most important ones, really um, things that you think people should consider uh, as a bare minimum for them to have. And also let's talk about the importance of organization as it relates to whether it's statements, um, insurance policies, essentially uh, important items to clients. Everybody has a little bit different of a situation, but let's talk about that foundational estate planning piece. Where do you want to start with that one? It's all over. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure all everybody who's listening has heard of a will. They've heard yeah. of a power of attorney or financial power of attorney or uh, medical directive. Those three tend to be the most basic ones mm -hmm. that you want to start with, right? Um, one is for your passing or death. The other two are really why you're alive. Um, so the power of attorney gives people the ability to access your uh, accounts, investments, anything like that uh, uh, while you're living, but you have a cognitive impairment, you're unconscious in the hospital, you know, who knows, right? So 
Um, and then the medical directive obviously says I, I give power to somebody to make medical decisions on my behalf. Um, you know, I have one for my, both of my kids are going in college and I have a medical directive for them because now they're 18 years old. Um, but there's no reason for anybody to call me because, you know, HIPAA doesn't allow it. But, um, so that's the basic thing. So I actually looked it up. Gallup, uh, in 2021 did a, a poll, uh, of around 2,500 people in the United States. What do you think the percent? I think I told you this. Yeah, you, you already know. So yep. don't, don't cheat. What do you think percentage of people who have a will? So this is just a will. 28%. Uh, no, well, you're way off. It's 46. Oh, I, I it's, was it's pessimistic. <laughs> Um, and then it moves, but 76% of pay, uh, people over age 65 have a will. But what, what really surprised me is age 30 to 49, and these are that's usually the age group that has children, it's 36%. Yeah. So the people who have a, a lot of risk in the sense that if they pass away early, who is going to take care of their children and, and, and their life insurance money and all that stuff, they, you know, the vast majority don't have a will. Um, so it's not just about hey, I'm getting older, I'm getting closer to dying. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we all know that, but accidents happen, things happen, and you want, want to be prepared for the things that are unexpected. So this is, the, the will is, is basic. The other thing is going over your beneficiaries on all your various all, accounts, yes. right? Um, so your 401k plan, your IRA, your Roth, your life insurance, um, making sure that those are aligned with what you want to occur. Yeah. And usually what happens is it doesn't. And you're like, well, why does this say this and these other beneficiary? Your will says one thing, your beneficiary says some, th something completely different. Unless that's how you sort of structured it. But And I think it it's important to, to explain that, that um, those beneficiary designations supersede your will. Yeah. So if you have, you got remarried, you haven't changed your last spouse and we've seen this, this happen numerous times unfortunately yeah unfortunately um the beneficiary designation is what supersedes that's what wins yep. and in the will and, and that's where you see lawsuits right well they change their will and and i think it's also important to talk about a will does not avoid probate so you have this will you have this document but now the executor whoever you appointed has to go do a lot of work yeah. and it's a lot of work yeah, well, typically the, all of those things that have named beneficiaries will avoid probate. Yes. Right? Um, and there are ways to structure even your non-retirement accounts, uh, either jointly or with what's called transfer on death or TOD or payable on death, PODs. And, you know, I don't think those are utilized enough by most people mm -hmm. because I, you know, most just don't understand the, how the process works because they've never... Never had the, it. The only, yeah. the only time they're going to be through the process, if they, like I said earlier, if they're, they were a trustee or an executor at one point, and, you know, obviously they haven't passed away, so they, they didn't have that experience. Um, so it's, it's just making sure that you're on top of all those things. Yep. And something that, you know, I just wanted to emphasize, especially on the 401k front, um, that's something that you need to consistently revisit over time to make sure that information is on file. Um, a lot of times when 401k plans either go from one record keeper to another, um, and that's essentially the company that holds those assets, the website that the participants go to, those beneficiary designations do not come over. So a lot of times we'll meet with somebody who's been at a company for a while. They would have just you know changed record keepers fairly recently. They are a type A person. They have you know all of their ducks in a row. 
we'll log in to look at their 401k and next thing you know, there's nobody on there. Yeah. Um, just something that, you know, I wanted to point out that needs to be, you know, checked over time. Well, also let's not, let's not forget the um, auto enrollment. Mm -hmm. I mean that first of all, that's coming down the pike. If a lot of plans have it today, but that's going to be a requirement in 2025 and people get auto enrolled, they're contributing, but they don't ever put a beneficiary in. Yeah. And we see that time and time All again. Time. You know, we know from our plans, the average beneficiary designation is around 50%. Yep. You know, we work tirelessly to get that up, but yep. you know, that's a struggle too. So make sure you check that. So we talked about that. Let's talk about trust. So I think where trust really can come in to complement the beneficiaries on the IRAs and, and insurance and those types of things, but also um, allows you to kind of do some more of that legacy planning, really. Yeah, the, the, the old adage with trust was, if you don't trust your kids, set up a trust. And, I don't know if that's really what it should be. It's more about controlling things to a certain degree, not, I guess you could be over controlling, but you know, I have a trust and I set it up in such a way so that my children um, have a trustee if my wife and I pass away and I, my trustee is Rose because Good luck, she kids. knows how to manage money. <laughs> but they have, to meet certain criteria or reach certain age requirements before they get a certain amount of money. And, and my thought process behind that was they're more mature and they're going to make more mature decisions. But I didn't want to, I mean, you, you could set it up so that the money stays in trust for the rest of their life, but I didn't really want to be that controlling and, you know, I have a 50 year old resenting me, dead dad, and going, I, I can't get the money. I mean, so. There's so many various ways that you can set up a trust, but it really, it, it's there, one, to help avoid probate, Yep. right? Um, and two, to ensure that how the money might be spent or when it can be given to whoever you want it to, they get it at those periods of times that you think is the right time in their, their life. Now, if it's for charity, then you're probably just giving it all away, right, right, you know, right at once, right yep. after, shortly after you pass. Um, I, I think, the trust word, when most people hear it, they think um, I have to be, you know, Bill Gates or somebody with billions of dollars and or multi-millions of dollars. And that's not really the case at all. And, and the one thing that people don't think about is it also helps you during your life, right? Because you give a co-trustee or trustee powers to somebody who can manage your money if for some reason you become incapacitated. And what most people in this country worry about, especially older Americans, is what if I get dementia? Who's going to pay my bills? Yep. Uh, who's who's going to help manage the money? Who's going to talk to my financial advisor of how to manage my money? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's it's not just for death; it's also for you know protecting yourself during life during your life because you just don't know. And I think one thing to, to point out is how I mean the um, estate federal exemption right now for gifting. Mm -hmm when you pass, it's pretty high. 12.92 million. Yeah, and because of that, a lot of people have redone trust, created family trust. Um, and I think we should just touch on this real quick. Making the IRA beneficiary the trust, and especially if there's a certain parameter of distributions. Um, we had this with a client, you and um, a client that passed was my client, and Dan was getting the actual, Dan worked with the beneficiary client. Uh, the trustee was somebody completely different. And here, the unintended consequences was now this trustee was going to have to be involved over the entire lifetime of this beneficiary, which was just really we didn't need. Yeah. So, you know, that's part of the conversation, you know, making sure, as you stated earlier, did the, 
Do the beneficiaries make sense in, in how you have things set up and outlined and doing some of the estate planning flowcharts and understanding, hey, this is what you've designated and this is how it's going to work. And and sometimes clients go, well, that's not what I wanted. And we're going, okay, well, let's right. let's go back to the drawing board. Right. Because you could you can have great documents, but really screw up how things flow. Yeah, you just got to keep track of or periodically review your documents because your life is going to change, right? You know, I'll change my trust and I might change it so my kids get money sooner because they seem like they're more mature when I set this up when they were minors. Right. And so, you know, or I have a grandkid and I go, okay, well, this changes my perspective on on, on how I think about all that stuff. So um, it's, it's always a work in progress. It just... No. It's not like you're working on it every single day. No. But, but it's important it's, to keep, is it something that, you know, we do every client review. We have that our estate register that we look through and say, hey, here's what we have on file. And I can't, every time, you know, every, at least a couple people a year go, oh, we need to change that. Or so-and-so isn't here anymore. Or I'm not even talking to that person. And, but it's to your point, you know, it, it, you got to keep on top of that. And, and you got to know, A, who your beneficiaries are. And a lot of people don't track it. Yeah. Okay, so we touched a little bit on the estate register. Let's talk about what we put on there and what's important to kind of track and, and get your arms wrapped around when you're putting together your legacy planning. Right. So the estate register is simply a document that we have clients keep that really tracks all of their you know things that they think the next generation would need to know if they were to pass away. So that's going to have things as simple as here are the accounts. Here's where everything's located. Here's my contacts. Um, you know, here's our financial advisor, uh, accountant, estate planning attorney, all of those things in one place. In addition to the basics like that, there's also the one-offs that we see change from client to client. Um, you know, some clients could have collectibles that are on there. Other clients could have, um, you know, other things that are important and unique to their family. They just want those future generations to know where they are. And then in some cases, value that item and then essentially who to contact when they need help with that, you know, with that stuff. Yeah, and Dan, on the second page, we have a lot of things like where's their social security card? If they're in the military, where are those you know, forms? And Yeah, the, the estate register has um, evolved over time in the sense that you know, 20 plus years ago, nobody had all of their stuff on the internet, yeah. Yeah. right? And you, you still have some clients that go, well, I prefer paper, I'm still getting paper and that's what I want. More and more, you know, whether clients like it or not, they're being forced to go to the internet and have usernames and passwords, right? And so the only way to access their account is to have these. Mm -hmm. And so then you get into privacy issues of, oh, I don't want to give this stuff. This, that's right. why I set up this username or password, so nobody knows. Um, but we've, we've adjusted the estate register so that, um, you know, they can add those things on and they can encrypt or password protect the, that the form. So. Yeah. Yet another thing to password protect. Right. So, right. Um, and, and you know, less and less people have all these things saved in a safe deposit box. People still have them, but the the rate of use of safe deposit box today has is nothing like it was in the past. Mm -hmm. That was the place to keep your favorite jewelry or, or right. you know the the watch handed down from your friend. You, you didn't keep it at home because somebody could steal it, so it's safe in a bank. Uh, you're, you're not seeing nearly as much of that as you used to. The biggest thing is, how do I tell people about my logins for my bank account? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? And you're like, well, you got to write it down. Um, where do you have that? So there's password portals. There's all these different ways of doing it. Um, and it's it's certainly, I think, for 
somebody who's coming in to step in on somebody's estate, whether that person's alive or they've passed, there's just more stuff. Because they used to just go to mom and dad's file cabinet yep. and just try to figure out what was going on. Because that's what mom and dad said. Just go to the file cabinet. Yeah. They're like, well, I don't understand your filing system. I don't even know why I have documents from 20 years ago in here. But um, it, it, it's um, hopefully the estate register makes things far easier for those people. Yeah, That was the primary goal. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is, you know, as we've seen dealing with clients in, in the next generation when or just the executors, when someone passes, how easier it is when you know where to start looking. <laughs> and and we had that same scenario. I mean, part of the reason the passwords came on is we had clients who, you know, husband passed. They had a small mortgage. Wife didn't know about it. No one knew the login. And they got a notice they're foreclosing. And they're like, wait, what, what mortgage? Because they, they're getting no statements. So um, definitely important to keep up on that and, and keep track of it. So something that we usually, we put together for clients that's great. So that comes back to, you know, we've talked about kind of the, the holistic, starting at the, the top, the big picture, some of the pieces to help you with that planning. Then it comes down, if you do have, you know, how do you educate the next generation, the family um, on, hey, this is what I want to do. Or in some cases, we have clients who don't share that information for whatever reason. But for those who do, you know, what, how does that look and, and what information are you giving them? Well, you know, in any relationship, if you're not communicating, it's not going to work, right? Yeah. So if you're not communicating with whoever it is in your family of what you have. Now, generationally, uh, certain generations are more comfortable with, you know, discussing this than others. Older generations were told by their, you know, their parents who were probably from the Great Depression of, you know, you don't talk about money. It's, it's uh, this taboo that you don't talk about and that's by not talking about it, it's just a detriment to everybody around you so um to a certain degree it's not getting them to help you it's just going this is the way things are going to go and this is the way i want them and here's where all my stuff is yeah and so that they understand so there's no bickering or misunderstanding or anything like that um so just open lines of communication right um, that's when that happens, I find things go, move much more smoothly than when there's no line of communication. Right. right. And if possible, you know, in a perfect world, introductions to those professional relationships can really make that Absolutely. inevitable process a lot easier, you know, when when that situation arises. So, you know, obviously, if you're in a situation where you've worked with a firm like ours or a CPA or an estate planning attorney for a long time, there is... Uh, the time and the place to make those introductions to um, those individuals with you know your kids to make sure that they feel comfortable that you trust that person um, just so everybody is on the same page from um, you to your kids to those professionals that can go a long way uh, you know in the future. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, um, well, we've unpacked a lot. Thank you both. This was a great. Uh, really, you know, peek into a lot of the scenarios that we find ourselves uh, in as it relates to legacy planning. So thank you again to everybody who tuned in for the second episode of the Live Great Review podcast. Um, if you aren't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do so. And, you know, as always, if you found value in what we you know, have discussed today and a lot of the content that we put out, we just ask that you uh, please pass it along to friends and family. And thank you again. Yeah. And if uh, anyone's in a situation where you think maybe your estate planning 
and your legacy planning might need another look or you're not quite sure, feel free to reach us out and we'd be happy to see uh, how it's going for you. Definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Live Greater View. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify and recommend our podcast to family and friends. To learn more about VLP Financial Advisors, please check out our website at vlpfa.com. Thanks again. And now for our necessary disclosures. Securities and advisor services offered through Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment strategy will be successful. The views stated in this podcast are not necessarily the opinion of Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned. Due to the volatility with the markets mentioned, opinions are subject to change without notice. Information is based on sources believed to be reliable. However, their accuracy or completeness cannot be guaranteed. Past performance does not guarantee future results.